Hi, this is Dave Coriel, president of Delcor, and welcome to this episode of Reboot IT. It's Reboot IT, the association and nonprofit technology podcast, brought to you by Delcor. And now your host, Delcor president, and a guy who's late to the game with his quarantine sourdough starter, Dave Coriel. Today, I'm going solo. That's right, it's just me, no guest. And the reason I'm doing that is because for the last few weeks, we've been hosting a number of calls with groups of our clients, and there's been some themes that have emerged from our conversations that I wanted to share with you. It's interesting when I've been listening, and, and mostly it's been focused around the obvious, right? The pandemic and the way that's affected our organizations. So I really want to talk about four different things. I want to talk about how the work from home, working in remote locations, has affected our organizations, how the pandemic has affected our, our events and conferences as a community, how it has affected our personal interactions, and how our culture is being affected and our culture affects how we view what's happened in the last couple of months. So really, this is a, what have we learned and how do we take that going forward and use it to our advantage as organizations? So I'm going to dive right in. I'm going to try to keep this pretty short because I don't think I need to really go on and on about some of these these themes because they're just so crystal clear. One of them is the work from home or work from a remote location theme that the clients have been talking about. What's the answer or what's the theme? It works. It actually works. A lot of organizations that had partial part-time work from home, work in a remote location are finding out that even in a fully remote environment, things are getting done, right? It's not perfect, but it works is the bottom line. And we really weren't set up for this, but even though some organizations made a gradual transition seeing what was coming, some organizations made an overnight transition to the entire team being out of the office, it wasn't, again, it wasn't perfect, but it works. Productivity is as what it has been, or in some cases, some of our clients are saying they feel or are looking at productivity indicators and it's even higher now that folks are, whatever the reason is, whether it's there's the focus, whether it's because we're really, really working hard for our organizations right now, harder than normal, um, whether it's because we have longer days and people are having a hard time adjusting to a beginning and end of day like we used to have when we went into the office, whatever the reason is, folks are saying it works. And this is going to really be an upshot because in this theme that it works is going to have a lot of ramifications for us. Clients are really thinking about what they're going to do when the pandemic, and I know it's not going to be over, but when the pandemic um, is in a position or we're in a position to go back to the office, how are we going to handle that? So a lot of the conversations have been around as restrictions are uh, taken taken away, as, as restrictions are lessened, how do we go back to the office in a safe manner? And there's been a lot of conversations around that. Well, one of our clients said, why? Why would we go back to the office? Which started an entire thread of conversation around, yeah, you're right. Why would we go back to the office? If we're, if we're just as productive in this way, what are the reasons that we need to go back to the office? And so that's something that I think a lot of organizations are going to have to answer because now that, that teams know they can work in this way, it's going to be difficult to convince them unless there's an actual value to convince them that they need to be back in the office to do the same work they were doing in a remote location. So if we're gonna be working from home, how do we do something as operational as asset management? 
when when team members are taking laptops, monitors, keyboards, mouse devices, et cetera, home, how do we implement our asset management program differently than we did before? That's a really operational perspective as opposed to the managerial piece. How do we manage people and how do we manage productivity or measure productivity in a work remote environment? And what role is, does IT play in that? How can IT help support the business objective of having quality management as well as productivity measurement without it being draconian or um, something like, you know, you've, you've read about the organizations that have, you know, you have to leave your camera on while you're at work, even if you're working from home so that people can see you're working, which uh, maybe in some environments that works. Uh, it would never work in a lot of our client sites from a culture perspective. But my point is, how can IT help aid the organization in making this transition by using technology if, if there's an applicable role? using technology to help measure productivity in a meaningful way. So these are some of the uh, conversations that the clients have been talking about, our clients have been talking about and struggling with, is you know not only asset management or productivity, HR issues are coming up, uh, a suitable work environment in, in a remote location as opposed to the work environment, you know ergonomics, et cetera, that we may pay attention to in the office. How is the organization liable for in providing that environment in a work remote location that at one time was seen as a uh, benefit, right? Organizations say you can work from home one day a week or you can work from home multiple days a week as long as you provide yourself with your environment. Now the table's turned and we're telling client or we're telling staff rather organizations are telling staff that they have to work from home. So now is it the organization's responsibility to provide that ergonomically um, ergonomically correct uh, work environment and all of the equipment that you need to work from a remote location. So organizations are struggling with that HR issue and the management issue around work from home. But really, that's all stuff that you're going to get through. You're going to figure out what your policies are, what your reimbursement policies are, et cetera, uh, as we come out of the requirement to work from home. But really what I wanted to focus on is that stuff, like I said, that stuff you're going to figure out, right? But, but what did we just learn other than it works, right? If we just learn that working from home works, how do we take this and instead of planning on how to end work from home or work in a remote location, how do we take this information that it works and use it to our advantage? What are the opportunities here as an organization? For example, Maybe we don't care where somebody is located that we're hiring for a particular role. You know, if we're going to say that working remotely works, then why would, why would we care if our director of membership is in Montana, Texas, or Maine, right? Or why would we care if somebody is in a financial position, someone who works in the finance department, who's, who's um, whether it's bookkeeping or accounting, if they're in Texas, you know, Tennessee or what's another T state, um, you know, whatever. <laughs> we don't care where they are, right? Because if they can interact with teams, if they can get their information and produce what their work is, then that changes the way we're hiring. And that then gives us the ability to really look at things like, for example, maybe it makes sense to hire um, member service folks who are in different time zones, one in the East Coast, one in California, and one in Hawaii to cover a broader range of the day for members to have access to a live individual. And I know that's not 
rocket science, right? That's not, I'm not, I'm not sharing a thought that hasn't been said before, which is having uh, follow the sun staff, et cetera. But I think what's different now is that we're having to admit to ourselves, a lot of organizations that wouldn't have admitted this before is that that's a possibility because we've seen that remote working works. And and, I'm, and and again, it's not a blanket statement. I know for some organizations they're struggling with it because of the what they do part. But for the most part, almost all of our clients have said, hmm, this actually works. Well, that's great. But But like I said, my point here is instead of focusing on how do we return to the office safely and, and return to our former model, it's what did we just learn about working from home that we can, or working in remote locations or not having everyone in the office rather, what did we just learn from that that we can change our business model in a way that's beneficial to our value proposition and to our constituents? That comes into, comes into play also for events and conferences. It's not just about our operational work and our teams, but we've seen, you know, I did a, a podcast with Christina Llewellyn on how uh, her organization pivoted in 30 days from an in-person conference to a virtual one. There's all sorts of content out there right now. And, and we're um, all about to experience ASA Annual as a virtual event for the first time. Uh, so I think we're all learning that and that content's available to us. But, but what, what are we doing next? So we're figuring out, right, that we can take education and put it online. We're figuring out that we can take a um, conference that was going to happen in person and and have it happen virtually at some level. Whether we feel like it's 40, 60, or 90% successful, there's a success there for what our business objectives are for the conference. But take something like the exhibit halls or or the conference, you know, the exhibit show floor. A lot of organizations are struggling with how do we take that virtual? Well, maybe we don't, right? Maybe we don't think about the exhibit hall going virtual and using technology to support that. Maybe we think about what's the purpose of the exhibit hall. It's to connect the 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 constituents, right? The the delegates, the members at the conference with solutions. And I understand I you know, I've I've been in this in, in industry and in this community for 30 years now, and I understand the exhibit hall. I understand it's it's a reunion to some extent, especially for, for Delcor who's been around for so long and has built up so many relationships. It's it's a reunion for us to see and, and be seeing so many people that we miss throughout the year or we don't see in groups throughout the year. On top of, for some organizations, it's a great lead gen, right? They're doing demos of, of platforms or they're um, they're working in some way that that generates a lot of leads, and and we get those too. But because we're not demoing something, it's more about relationships with us and seeing people. However, there's still that feeling when I'm standing in our ten by twenty carpeted pipe and drape area that it feels kind of outdated to me to be standing in this area, kind of waiting for someone to go by and pull them in with either a tractor beam, you know, gaze at them, hey, I caught your eye, you have to talk to me, or kind of pull them in with some type of lure of, uh, and, and we've tried all sorts of things to to get people to engage with the booth, not even, not from a lead gen perspective even, just from a, you know, if you fold this paper airplane and fly it down the runway, we're donating $100 to the local Boys and Girls Club or to the food bank in that community, wherever wherever the event was being held. 
And people are still reluctant because there's this feeling in the exhibit hall of if I talk to you, are you going to expect me to buy something from you? Or are you going to hound me later? Right? We all know it's true. So that's that's what I'm saying is, is do we want to take that same aspect and, and put it into a technology platform? Of course not. I was talking to a virtual uh, platform provider who said that they were looking at the idea of having a 20 or whatever dollar gift card from Starbucks being sent to those who exhibit who went to a certain number of exhibitors private zoom rooms and had a conversation with them and got the password from them for you know you collect 10 passwords you get a 20 dollar card whatever it is and i gave the person the feedback that i don't know why as an industry partner i don't know why that's enticing to me and i don't know why it has any value to the member other than the 20 dollar gift card to Starbucks right I don't, I, what I would, I would rather see is some way to connect education to the service providers and the industry partners who have something to do with that topic and facilitate a connection between the two that allows interaction that has value to the participant and has value to the industry partner, right? The key word here is value. We want to provide value to the members who are having this experience, whether it's in person in the exhibit hall or if it's online. And and so making that connection of, hey, I just heard, or I participated in an educational forum that gave me some information that I want to go further with. Who else can I talk to, right? We've all, we all know that that there are platforms, whether it's an AMS or a CRM or an LMS, that we can easily look at a in a, a virtual or physical exhibit hall and know the booth numbers, so to speak, that we have to go talk to. But what about some of the more intricate knowledge or not something that's as platform driven of, you know, str- whether it's strategic guidance or managerial guidance or support in some way that the education was providing uh, an intro to that then you want to further how can we use technology to take that education and further it with the providing value with connecting it to the, the the industry partners? So as far as events and conferences are concerned, the other piece, you know, as far as beyond exhibit halls and, and how we can take what we've learned in the last couple months and use that to change the exhibit hall experience is the education piece, right? You know, typically what happens is you go to a conference whether it's 10 or 100 of you are sitting in a room, sometimes the speakers are interactive, sometimes they're talking at you, and then you might engage with a few peers around you, and then you leave the room. Trying to take that example of that and put it online isn't always going to translate, right? So what we've learned is you can't just have your speakers um, mimic what's going on in in an educational event at a conference. What's what what can we what can we do different as a community in order to enhance the value proposition of these educational sessions? Do we pre-record that section, the the, the speaking part of it, and then have a Q and A with the speakers? Do we uh, use breakout rooms to facilitate conversations around particular topics that the speakers brought up with a facilitator in it? Maybe the speakers are the facilitators in the breakout rooms after they've watched a pre-recorded portion of the the educational event and really gets to the meat of what they're trying to communicate and the educational purpose of the actual session is more the topic that's a discussion versus a listening event. Because we can listen 
asynchronously, we can have meaningful conversations synchronously, right? And then taking that concept of what what we're learning about putting these events online, when we do have events again in person and we do have 50 or 100 people in a room together again or 5,000 people in a room together again, is there something we just learned that could make those events better? Is it the same model? Do we take the events pre-record and then when we go to an event or a conference, the real reason we're together is we're together. How do we take that and use that to our advantage and deliver more value? If I watch the session before the conference or on the way to the conference and then get to the conference and have facilitated discussions person to person in a meeting room, is that the better model than having us come and listen and then walk away? There's a good hybrid model that can be, or a good hybrid framework that can be kind of teased out here. The same with with conferences and events. Um, part of what I posted on Collaborate recently is, well, about a month ago now, really, is that if we were to take our events and make them truly national meetings at a local level, we work with the allied or component societies to hold a regional event where it's easy for our, our members, our constituents to get to that event and still have national programming be part of that experience. So awards, certifications, recognitions, annual goals and themes can still be something that's happening synchronously at all state society events. And then there can be local programming and there can be local speakers who are uh, doing the in-person portion of the event so that we can still have that personal interaction but not have to have all 5,000 of us or 10,000 of us or 40,000 of us all in one place. So really what I'm after here is, is what are we learning and how can we use that not to just to return to where we were, but to return to a better place when it comes to work from home or distributed workforce, when it comes from events and conferences in the way we deliver education. The last two areas I want to hit on are, you know, what are, what are we learning about our personal interaction? Part of what I'm hearing in the client conversations is that some some folks, the extroverts, right, they miss personal interaction. That's how they are recharged. They work in groups. They have conversations in person. They don't work alone. It drains them to work alone or in a in a single environment. So some some of our, our clients are saying, I really miss the office environment. It's not a pain. It's worth driving to for me to see other people, whether it's because of the extra, extrovert aspect of it or whether it's because it's a segmentation of life aspect of it. So what have we learned in the last few months to to make sure that we're still getting that personal interaction? And how do we how do we not go back to the office in the same way we were? So I said I wanted to keep this this episode short, and so I'm going to try to wrap up here with a couple of thoughts. Uh, two more topics. One is the personal interaction aspect of it. You know, how do we take what we've learned in the last couple of months and make sure that we reinvent our personal interaction in a way that makes sense and works for the extroverts or the people who need an office to segment their life between office and, and professional and personal life or personal and professional space? We're all learning how to do that. We're forced to learn how to do it. But what my point is, is that when we we want to take what we just learned and use it in some way. So if you're an extrovert 
how do we fill the gaps for you in our organizations to make sure that you have that personal interaction and, and team time to recharge yourself? If you're someone who needs to segment your personal and professional life in a way that the office facilitated that for you, how do we accomplish that for you to remain a productive, happy, engaged person within our organizations? That's that's an issue I haven't heard many folks try to solve yet. I hear people saying, I need to go back to the office, but people don't know what to do about it. Maybe this is the one part where when the restrictions are being lifted, it really makes sense for folks, those people to go back to the office in a safe and in a way that works for both their safety and the organization. So I don't have an answer to that, but that's something we're we're learning is going to be an issue or a challenge or an opportunity, however you want to look at it, that we have to address. And the other thing I want to mention is is culture. Uh, Jamie Notter was great. There's a podcast with him that was all about culture and the intersection with technology. If you go back and listen to that, you know, clearly he is the culture expert. He and Maddie do all sorts of work on culture and it's worth tapping into. Not my area of expertise, but I do think about how this work and this remote workforce is affecting and being affected by our culture and how technology can help build on that. I, I was thinking about, can you build a culture in a remote environment? And and part of what I started thinking about was, is that is that what's been I don't know if it's brand loyalty or culture or if there is a cult subculture within this, but I was thinking about things like I'm a Jeep driver. I feel like I'm part of a Jeep culture, even though other Jeep drivers, I don't know them, but, but I feel like I'm part of this culture and it's not just brand loyalty. I don't know if um, Apple enthusiast or Subaru or other brands have a subculture linked to the brand that's not just about brand loyalty. But if they do, that was built in a remote way, right? I didn't go to a Jeep Jamboree. I have never been to one. There are such things. But I feel like I'm part of a subculture of Jeep drivers. So I'm curious if we can do that within our organizations, within our memberships, is there a way to build this so that we have the culture being built in remote ways. There has to be a way to do it, right? Maybe task somebody with looking into the culture effect and the effect on culture as it relates to distributed workforce, as well as collaboration and productivity. But I think this is something that, you know, that you really need to pay attention to, which is the culture piece of it. And think about the inverse too. Once, you know, I was just talking about the extroverts needing to go back to the office what is it going to do to the introverts or what is it going to do the, the, to the team individuals who've been forced to come to the office and is always, they've always accepted that they need to come to the office? They've now learned that they don't need to come to the office. They're able to complete their work and worked effectively from home and they know you know it now. So by telling them, no, you're coming back to the office, what's that going to do to your culture? What's it going to do to your morale? And is it something that you need to pay attention to? Or is it something that we need to just get past? That's that's something for your organization to decide. The theme that I'm really focused on here is what did we just learn? So don't just take what's happened and think about how we return back to the standard work environment, even in a safe and productive way. 
Instead, I think the organizations that are going to come out of this better are the ones that are spending their energy on thinking about what did we just learn and how do we take that and recreate our organizations using that to deliver additional value, to build our culture in a more positive way, to allow people to be more productive as opposed to uh, forcing them to come back to a model that we have now know is not the only model or the most potentially the most successful model for our organization. When I think about organizations spending time around, you know, we need to figure out uh, how we can modify our egress plans, how we're going to use stairwells, what the common areas need to be look like, where do we need to put plexiglass in the reception area, how are we going to use elevators? They're wading through all of these different obstacles instead of looking at it at spending energy and saying, hey, based on what we just learned, what's our new business model? What's our new operational model and management model? And and taking it from there as opposed to taking the 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 difficult, more complicated route of of trying to return to the way things were unnecessarily. Naturally, from my perspective, technology plays a huge role in all of this. And the most important thing is that technology is aligned with what your new business model or operational models will look like. So taking into account, you know, the hiring process, onboarding, integrating into the culture, engaging engaging individuals in the organization, collaboration, training, adoption of new platforms in a different way than we've typically done it is going to make us rethink our IT program as an IT leaders we need to make sure that we're helping the organization lead in that direction. You know, it used to be that IT, I've said this a hundred times, it used to be that IT was order takers, tell us what you want and we'll build it or buy it for you. IT now, a mature IT program within an organization is just as much of a leader as an order taker. Tell us what we're trying to accomplish and let me show you the way technology can help you align with those goals better. So, Hopefully there was some some stuff in there that you can use and you can sit down and think about and work with your leadership team or work with your operations and management teams to really figure out what the new model looks like. I appreciate your time and let's stay safe out there. And I look forward, I, I do, I look forward to seeing everyone in person, hopefully sometime soon. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us on Reboot IT. If you like what you heard, please subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. And give us a five-star review while you're there. Reach out to us via our website at delcor.com or on our social media channels. We'll see you next time.